guys, you're listening to Web of Wicked. We're a mother-daughter duo that bond over true crime. I'm Erin, I'm the mom. And I'm Kayla, I'm the daughter. On this podcast, we cover some sensitive topics, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Web of Wicked. This week, as promised, we're changing it up. But we're not going to be going straight into the next set of cases that we have for you. Today, we're going to be talking about the dangers of meeting people online, whether it's for the purpose of finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or just if you're looking for friendship. Things are much different now than they were when I was young. Like, we had to actually go out and meet people organically, either out at social events, nightclubs, bars, or maybe you'd meet that cute guy or girl in one of your college classes, or one of your friends would set you up on a date. But the point is, there was some real-life connection there. It's very, very different today. Now there's sites like Bumble, Hinge, Tinder, eHarmony, and they're hugely popular for meeting new people. But these apps and sites open the door to a whole nother dimension. And I know that there's a ton of genuine people that use those apps, and they use it in the way that they're meant to be used. But it does create a playground for predators and mentally unwell people. And some of these people know how to target and take advantage of unsuspecting users that are truly looking for friendship or love. It's very easy to hide behind a screen and tell someone everything they want to hear to lure them in. And that's what took place in the story that we're going to tell you today. July 14th marks four years since 17-year-old Bianca Devins was killed by a young man that she met through social media. She was a vulnerable teenager, and being the unbalanced predator that he was, Brandon Clark targeted her. I know it was supposed to be my turn to present a case this week, but Kayla really wanted to do this one in memory of Bianca. Not to sound cliche, but the biggest reason for doing a podcast like this is giving victims a voice and keeping their names out there. So we want to do that for Bianca this week. And since Kayla took over for me this week, I took this week to catch up on the editing and the research for the episodes that we have coming up. And guys, editing is time consuming. It seems like every time I work out a kink, a different issue pops up for me. Like, just to give you an example, my house, like a lot of houses in Puerto Rico, has tile flooring in every room. And on top of that, we have 12-foot ceilings. So it's not the best acoustics for dialogue. And also, it's been 90-plus degrees and humid here. And no matter what I've tried, my audio was terrible. So two weeks ago, I finally gave up and realized that I'd have to record in my sweltering walk-in closet. So that's where I am today. And it has improved things a little bit, but it's definitely not pleasant. So just so you can see the sacrifices that we make to put this podcast together. But every episode we release, I'm learning more and it's going a little bit faster. So thank you for sticking with us for all the hiccups. But enough about the struggles of podcasting. This episode's for Bianca. With so many new cases coming out every day, it's easy for names and faces of victims to blur over time. With four years having passed, hopefully in talking about this case, we can honor Bianca's memory and also examine the red flags and dangers that Bianca faced. Hopefully by telling these stories, other young people can realize that this could happen to them too, and they'll learn to take precautions and be safe. 
it really, really is a scary world out there. So I'm going to turn it over to Kayla from here to tell Bianca's story. Hi guys, I'm going to start by telling you a little bit about Bianca, so you can get to know her and understand a little bit about how this played out. Bianca Devins was born October 2nd, 2001, in Utica, New York. She was a petite girl who sometimes dyed her hair bright pink. She seemed to be at a point where she was trying to figure out who she was and where she would fit in. She had just graduated from high school in 2019 and had plans to attend a community college that following fall to study psychology. It was her dream job to become a psychologist. She had struggled with mental health growing up, so in turn, she wanted to help other people going through similar issues. Growing up, Bianca struggled to connect with people in real life due to her mental health. She had been in and out of the hospital for mental health treatment for a good part of her teen years. She had been diagnosed with depression, anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and PTSD. Because of this, she felt very isolated, so she used social media as her outlet. She had many online friends that she could relate to and be herself with. She often used a website called Discord. Now, I've heard of Discord, but I've never used it, so I wasn't really familiar with what it was, and I looked it up. And for those of you who also don't know what it is, it's basically a website where you can meet people with similar interests and join themed chat rooms. And in these chat rooms, you can exchange pictures and messages to each other. Some people use it for gaming. Bianca used it more to share her artwork and connect with people that were also part of the e-community or emo community. When I was growing up, AIM was popular, so I guess Discord was kind of similar to communicate with people in a chat room setting. But anyways. Really? That's what you use in high school? Because AOL Instant Messenger came out the year I graduated high school. And I remember using it when we still had, like, dial-up internet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was still, like, a thing when I was a young teen, like, 13, 14. And then I remember using apps like Kick and Snapchat, but we definitely still used AIM. Yeah, see, Kick and Snapchat were definitely out of my wheelhouse. But anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted. Go on. Yeah, so using Discord, she met a bunch of people she related with, compared to at school where she felt more shy and like an outcast. She definitely struggled with the social aspect of school. At one point, she actually started being homeschooled due to her anxiety and struggles, so social media definitely helped her feel less isolated. She was also very active on Instagram and gained quite a few followers. In around 2019, she had about four to 5,000 Instagram followers. After her death, her Instagram gained a ton more followers. She used these sites to share her artwork. She was a talented artist specializing in anime. She often used artwork to express her emotions visually. A lot of her posts on these websites were dark, and you could just see the mental state she must have been in during this time. See, I can definitely relate with that. In middle school and high school, I definitely used art as an outlet. And I remember people like my mother and one of my art teachers saying, Oh, you draw so good. Why do you always draw and paint such dark things? And admittedly, like at that time, part of it was probably to seem a little more edgy or cool. But that really was what appealed to me visually. Yeah, I think a lot of us can relate to being drawn to that type of thing in our middle school and high school years. No matter how good or bad your life is, the teenage years are some of the most emotional and confusing years in life. Yeah, definitely. 
And even to this day, I still use art as an outlet. Like, it's something I really enjoy doing, even though I barely have time for it. And even though now I tend to do a little more quote-unquote normal subjects of like more beautiful things, a lot of my stuff still has kind of dark undertones, like stormy skies and dark backgrounds. So I definitely can relate to her with that. Yeah, parts of her story remind me of myself at her age. Yeah, I definitely can see that. So Bianca grew close to several other users on these websites, one being Brandon Clark. Brandon was 21 at this time and had similar interests as Bianca, like anime. He also considered himself to be part of the emo crowd. Brandon also struggled with some mental health issues due to his home life. His parents had a very toxic relationship and got into a lot of fights. One fight was reported that it resulted in a hostage situation. His father held his mother at knife point for 10 hours, and because of this incident, his father was sent to prison, and Brandon was tossed around in the foster care system. So with both Brandon and Bianca struggling with mental health, they confided in each other. Brandon fell head over heels for Bianca over the internet, but looking back, he showed many red flags immediately. When Bianca wouldn't feed into his advances, he would message her awful things, some being, quote, You just lead guys on online because any man in real life would see how messed up you are, unquote. Or, quote, you're worthless and no one will ever be dumb enough to love you except for me, unquote. And I'm sanitizing these a little bit because the language he used was just over-the-top bad, but it was a prime example of gaslighting. Bianca gave into his advances despite the fact that he was already showing signs of a true toxic ego. In May of 2019, they finally met each other and each other's families in real life. Brandon was the definition of a narcissist and knew exactly how to put on an act for her family to like him. Men like this have the ability to show whatever face they need to to get what they want, and his plan worked. Bianca's family liked him and even referred to him as a close friend. Well, I'm sure Bianca's mom was concerned about Bianca talking to so many people online that she didn't know in real life, like any mother would be. So she probably felt reassured meeting Brandon herself before letting Bianca carry on a relationship with him. Yeah, I'm sure it was a little scary knowing her daughter had this large following of strangers all around the world. I know I wouldn't want my daughter going to meet someone online alone without me meeting them first. Yeah, it was probably a tough position for her mother. She knew how much Bianca struggled socially in school, and now she had this community of online friends that she really seemed to connect to. I don't want to speak for her mom, but I feel like that in that position, I would be hesitant to completely shut down my kid and tell them that they can't meet friends online or have an online presence. But I'm sure she was really happy to actually meet someone in real life, and she thought he was a good kid. Yeah, and with how volatile and emotional teenage girls can be, her mom probably didn't want to have her have a complete mental breakdown over that. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, she was 17 years old. She was close to 18. She had graduated high school, and she was going on to college. So at that point, I mean, there comes a time where... You can't control everything, everything anymore. Yeah, like, especially with her age, her mom probably felt like she needed to take a step back a little and let her daughter experience the big girl world. Yeah, and I mean, she had a pretty good relationship with her mother. 
but she still did have some boundaries and stuff. She wasn't just allowed to go out and do whatever she wanted. Yeah, I'm going to get into that a little bit. But yeah, her mom definitely seemed like she was a cool mom, but also kept her daughter pretty safe. Since Bianca struggled so much with her mental health, maybe her mom walked on eggshells a little bit, you know, not wanting to set her mental health into a decline again. You know, parenting isn't easy. Uh, yeah, it definitely isn't. I know that I do not look forward to those teenage years. I am going to be getting my karma. (laughs) You have a little bit of time left to enjoy. Enjoy my nice, sweet, innocent children. (laughs) (laughs) As kids get bigger, the problems get bigger. (laughs) Oh, great. But anyways, from my research, it doesn't seem like they were officially a couple at this point, at least not in Bianca's eyes. I don't really think she wanted a serious relationship with anyone before starting her college classes. She even told this to her mother and some close friends. In July of that same year, Brandon and Bianca made plans to go to a concert in Queens, New York. Bianca was so excited because this was her first concert she'd been given permission to go to alone. On July 13th, Brandon made the drive to Bianca's in Utica from where he lived in Bridgeport. And then from Bianca's, they drove to the concert. Brandon probably thought that doing all this driving for her and taking her to this concert she really wanted to go to, she'd fall in love with him. He definitely had expectations and wasn't just doing it to be a good friend. But in Bianca's mind, they were simply just friends going to a concert together. The concert doors opened around 7 p.m. that night. Bianca ended up going off on her own at that concert because she saw some other friends there that she knew. Brandon, being the jealous person he is, made sure to keep a close watch on her every move. He was enraged when he saw Bianca kissing another guy named Alex. Alex later reported that Brandon became extremely nasty and combative when he saw this. But the concert comes to an end around 10 p.m. and Bianca meets back up with Brandon. So that had to be an uncomfortable car ride home if he was that pissed off. Oh yeah, I'll get into it, but he definitely confronts her about what he saw. If I was her, I would have asked somebody else for a ride home, honestly. I know, but that was a really far ride. They were in Queens, New York, and she lived in upstate New York, so that's a pretty good drive. Yeah. It's not like... She could just Uber it back home. That would cost a pretty penny. Yeah, exactly. And she probably also didn't want to call her mom at her first concert alone saying it's going bad because then her mom would probably never let her go to a concert alone again. Right. Like she wanted everything to go smoothly and be like, look, I'm, you know, mature enough and pick the right friends to go out and have a good night like this and come home fine. Yeah. But yeah, either this kid is totally off the wall Or there were just some really mixed signals. But it definitely sounds like she made it pretty clear that we're friends. I mean, she told multiple people that. And you can kind of see in her reactions with him that she definitely wasn't all in. Like, we're in this serious relationship together. So he just had unrealistic expectations of her. Yeah, I definitely think by him doing all this driving for her... He really thought, like, okay, like, maybe this will be the thing that makes her fall in love with me. Look how good I'm being for her. Look at all the things I'm doing for her. She's gotta like me in some way. I think that's what he thought. 
it sounds like the classic case of a guy taking a woman out or a girl out for a nice expensive dinner and then he expects for her to go home with him and go to bed with him because he spent all this money on her. It sounds like that, like he thought she owes me for doing this for her. Exactly. Which is ridiculous. Yep. But they start making the drive back to Utica in Brandon's SUV. We're not sure exactly what took place during this drive, but I can imagine a lot of arguing. According to police reports, when Brandon confronted Bianca about her actions at the concert, Bianca told him they weren't in a relationship and she can basically just do whatever she wants. And this sent Brandon over the edge, and he snaps. He pulled out a knife that he had in the door of his car and began slitting her throat multiple times. Even worse, while he was doing this, he was recording it on his phone. Wow. The fact that he was supposedly in this rage, I don't understand how he had the presence of mind to set up his phone and record that. That doesn't make sense to me. Was that ever explained? I think he got some sadistic pleasure out of it. You'll see that he does a lot of things like this. Like, he likes the attention on social media. That's so foreign to me. In a situation where I should take out my phone and record something, I just don't have that automatic thing to do that like younger people do. I know. It's like, you see it all over the internet now. Like, anytime a fight breaks out in a school, you know, in the cafeteria, everyone has their phones out recording it. But it wasn't always like that. So he can't even claim that it was in the heat of the moment. He stopped to set up his phone to record everything. Yeah. And we're going to get into it more. Some people think it was like planned out because he had all the weapons and all the stuff he used to do this to her in his vehicle. That's what I was going to ask. Was it proven that it was premeditated or that was never really known? It's never really known. We're going to get into it, but he had like some weird stuff that not everyone would have in their SUV at all times. Yeah. But by this time, it's the early morning hours of July 14th. He took Bianca's phone and posted to her Discord account, quote, Sorry, fuckers. You're going to have to find somebody else to orbit, unquote. So I also had to look up what he meant by orbit. And I guess this is a common term used on these sites, and orbiting is the act of following a person online, requesting pictures from the other users, and in some cases, stalking. So basically, he was telling her followers that they need to find a new girl to be obsessed with. And with this message, he also included a picture of Bianca with her throat slit. Oh my god, he did not. This kid obviously had some severe mental problems. This was not just some typical emo teenage angst. It is so hard to understand the mindset of someone who could do that. It's, ugh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's terrifying. And imagine all these teenagers that innocently open up their phones because they got a notification from a new post of somebody they followed and see that. Like, oh. I'm sure a lot of them had nightmares or even needed counseling after that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we're not going to share the picture anywhere. It is still out there online, unfortunately, but it's bad. It's gory. And... A lot of her friends on this site thought it was a prank or some Halloween type of makeup she did. It was 
so bad because this site did have gore-type posts sometimes for shock value. But some people realized it was real and not just some makeup and started calling the Utica Police Department to inform them of what was being posted on Bianca's account. And Brandon's family also started calling in because they found a suicide note that he left. Like, he left a physical suicide note? Like, this whole thing was premeditated? Or he posted one after he did this? That's something that's also not really reported on. It was at his house, not online, but they just said it was some cryptic type of note. So I don't know, some people think it was just like a journal entry of some depressing message he wrote. It's not posted, the note. Oh, I understand what you're saying. I thought you meant like he actually left this note, like he had it all planned out, like he was going to kill her and kill himself that night. But it was just something he wrote when he was upset or something like that and not I gotcha. Yeah, but then Brandon was also posting pictures on his Instagram story. One of them was a bloody arm that appeared to be Bianca's, and the caption was, quote, I'm sorry, Bianca, unquote. He then also changed his Instagram bio to say his date of birth and then the date of his death as that day, July 14, 2019. So kind of announcing like he's going to kill himself. So he's doing as much as he can for show all over the internet to create some sort of shock value. I mean, that's kind of obvious. Definitely attention-seeking behavior all over the place with this guy. Yeah, and I know suicide's a, like, a sensitive subject, but usually when people are going to commit suicide, they don't normally post a bunch of stuff or call people to tell them they're going to do it because they don't want to be stopped. To me, it seems like he was doing this to see who'd come to the rescue and try to stop him. Yeah, I think a lot of times kids make suicide threats as a cry for help or to see which one of their friends will care enough to react. But that's definitely a dangerous game because I've seen times when people will do it with the attention of being saved, but help just doesn't get there in time. But in this case, he had to know that his choices were basically taking himself out or facing jail for life. So I kind of think that this was more for wanting attention and wanting the shock value, like you said. Yeah, and all of this was happening at about 6 a.m. Then around 7.30 a.m., Brandon made a phone call to 911. He was eerily calm on this phone call, and he told the dispatcher he was on a dead-end road called Post Street. This was close to Bianca's house. I read that it was about a mile from the high school she attended. Wow, and this was 6 o'clock in the morning, and they left the concert at 10 o'clock? I know it was probably a couple hours drive, but did he just, like, sit with her body all that time? Because it had to be at least a few hours. No? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we just looked it up, and from Utica to where the concert was, was about four hours. So if they left the concert at 10, that would put them back by Bianca's house around 2 in the morning. This phone call's coming in at 7.30, so yeah, he must have just been hanging out with her body. Like, gross. Wow. Yeah, so he calls the police at 7.30 in the morning, and he told the dispatcher, quote, My name is Brandon. The victim is Bianca Michelle Devins, 
and I'm not going to stay on the phone for long because I need to do the suicide part of the murder-suicide, unquote, and then hung up. He then lays down next to Bianca, who is wrapped up in a green tarp at this point, and police arrive to Post Street a few minutes later after this 911 call ended. They noticed a small fire burning near his SUV, and on the pavement, Brandon spray-painted, quote, May you never forget me, unquote. As they approach Brandon, they notice he's live-streaming on his Instagram account, and as they get closer to him, he takes the same knife he used to kill Bianca and starts stabbing himself in the neck. Then, he somehow manages to take another picture of himself and post it to his Instagram story, saying, quote, ashes to ashes, end quote. In this picture, you can see his bloody neck. I think what happened was the police noticed that when they were approaching him, he started stabbing himself. So they probably were trying to come up with a game plan to approach him in a way where he won't become more combative. I just don't understand how this guy is posting all this stuff so quickly. It's like making all this public was his goal. I'm still going over in my head this premeditation thing. That's really bugging me about this story. It really seems like he did have some sort of plan. To, like, maybe he had a plan in his head developed, like, oh, I'm hoping that she's going to fall in love with me and this trip is going to make her be my girlfriend for real. And if it doesn't, and then he had this as his plan. Yeah, I mean, he drove an SUV. I mean, I have a few weird things in my car, but he has a knife, a tarp, spray paint. I don't know. It's just odd to me. And just all the posting on social media, I find that so weird that as the police were approaching him, he was able to post all these things online and take more pictures of himself and everything. I understand the police hesitating because he had a knife in his hand and he was threatening himself with it, but it's just crazy to me. He was like, oh, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to get all the attention and likes and clicks and views that I can on my way out. Yeah, he definitely wanted to go out with a bang. But these stab wounds didn't go deep enough to kill him. So officers called for emergency backup and began to really close in on him. This is when they get close enough to notice brown hair sticking out from underneath the tarp. Brandon was taken to the hospital at this point for his self-inflicted injuries, but he was deemed well enough the next day for questioning. It's not really reported on what Brandon said exactly during questioning, but an officer made a comment that, quote, he was very interested in what was on television, let's put it that way, unquote. So yeah, I think really all he cared about was putting on some sick Romeo and Juliet show. Because even his username on Instagram was Yes Juliet. And in previous posts he's made, he makes like references to that. Oh, so like he thought he was some sort of Romeo and Bianca was supposed to be his Juliet, but... In Romeo and Juliet, at least they both agreed to die. Poor Bianca had a whole life to live. And she had struggled so much, but she had graduated high school. She was on her way to college. That is so sad. He was such a scumbag to take that all away from her. Yeah, basically he gave her no choice to be Juliet. And I know I can relate with her struggles and how she fell into the situation. I think a lot of younger people can. So since Brandon posted all these pictures to Discord and Instagram, people were screenshotting them and sharing them before these social media platforms could even flag them or take them down. They were spreading like wildfire. 
Some sick people doing anything for clout and followers sharing the picture all over the internet. This just goes to show how many wackos are on the internet. It even got to the point where some of these users were sending the gruesome pictures to Bianca's mother on Facebook. That is just indefensible. That's horrible. I don't know how somebody could do that. But we've seen a lot of cases where stuff like that happens, and the social media sites can only take down those photos so fast. Because first somebody has to report it in the first place, and then they review it and then decide to remove it. But by that time, so many people have screenshot it or screen recorded it, it's impossible to completely scrub from the internet. Like, look at the case of Ronnie McNutt. He live-streamed his own suicide. Or that racist mass shooter from Buffalo, New York last year. He killed 10 people while live-streaming it on Twitch. And both of those videos are still floating around today. They're not as easily accessible. You have to dig for them, but you can find them. Yeah, one good thing about this case is that it got so much media coverage, it forced the bigger social media platforms to start taking the problem of sickos live streaming their crimes more seriously. And there was a legislation passed that put strict protocols in place on how to handle these cases. Well, this case should definitely be a wake-up call for young teens or adults using the internet to meet people. This case had many components that people need to be aware of and on the lookout for. It's not only a testament to how cautious you need to be about who you interact with and meet in person, it also shows the dangers of staying in an abusive relationship. Whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship, people can get obsessive and abusive in either of those kind of relationships. When someone shows red flags, it's easy to write them off. But let this be a lesson that you really shouldn't. You never want to think that something like this will happen, but unfortunately, following true crime, we all know that it's a sad reality. These kind of people escalate when they don't get what they want. Yeah, he wouldn't take no for an answer and had some serious jealousy issues and completely crossed boundaries. He had the mentality of, if I can't have you, no one can. And we're most definitely not victim-blaming here. It's not her fault that she didn't recognize these warning signs. She was only 17, trying to come out of her shell and enjoy life. Many people much older than her don't recognize the warning signs either. In so many true crime cases, you hear, Oh, why didn't he or she leave them when they saw the red flags? Like in the Susan Powell case, or even in the recent Gabby Petito case, you never think the person you love or are close with is capable of any kind of violence. And many times in these relationships, these toxic people are so manipulative. They're convincing. They'll tell you they'll change their ways so you'll hang on to that hope and keep giving them chances to actually change. So you can't blame the victim. But we can look back on these cases and use them as examples to learn from or teach our kids what to look out for. So anyways, back to the story. Brandon Clark pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder charges. While he was waiting for his trial, he made a shiv-type weapon in jail. The dumbass also wrote a letter to a friend bragging about what he did to Bianca. In this letter, he wrote that he just couldn't handle the thought of her walking out of his life to be with someone else. Ugh. Do these criminals not realize that when you're in jail, everything is monitored? Well, we know this kid definitely wasn't the brightest crayon in the box anyway. 
But it really is unbelievable to me how so many people in jail confess to their cellmate or in a letter or on a phone call. I mean, the phone calls explicitly say in the beginning that it's being recorded. But I guess it's a good thing that a lot of them can't keep their mouths shut. Yeah, you even see on TV shows that sometimes they even put fake criminals in a cell with people to see if they'll confess. And they're actually a cop. Yeah, exactly. Watch 60 Days In. (laughs) Yeah, and I think a lot of them are narcissists and can't help but talk about themselves. They want to talk about their crimes because they're proud of what they've done. Oh yeah, definitely. I guess to some of them it's like a little kid that has a secret and they just can't keep it in. But look at the recent Delphi case. The judge just unsealed a bunch of documents and one shows that Richard Allen, the man who's being charged with the murders, was recorded on video calls with his wife and mother confessing to the murders. And in his case, it's a little different. His attorneys are claiming that being held in inhumane conditions has caused a mental health break in him, and he just doesn't know what he's saying. But that remains to be seen. But it's just another recent case of an incarcerated person confessing when they have to know that they're being recorded. Yeah, well, this kid has documented mental health problems too, but still, that's something I just don't understand. But in February of 2020, Brandon changed his plea to guilty, but then he quickly tried to change it back to not guilty, blaming his lawyer for failing him. But at the end of the day, he videotaped the murder on his phone, made multiple incriminating posts on social media, which the police saw and still have proof of, and bragged about his actions in that jailhouse letter, the judge denied his motion to change his plea back to not guilty. On March 26 of 2021, he was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. So this means he would have to serve at least 25 years in prison before he's eligible for parole. But he committed a vicious crime and showed absolutely no remorse after, so we can only hope that in 25 years, his parole is denied and he has to serve the complete life sentence. Bianca's mother, Kim, and her family have showed up to every one of Clark's hearings. They wore bright pink t-shirts with a silhouette of a younger girl on a swing, in reference to Bianca's favorite color and childhood activity. The Devons family started a scholarship in Bianca's name for students pursuing psychology degrees. In early 2020, Bianca's friends and family held the Bee Gala to celebrate her life, This showcased Bianca's artwork and raised funds for the scholarship. So hopefully Bianca's story isn't forgotten. So when he is eligible for parole, she still has plenty of people advocating for her and he's denied so he can rot in jail for the rest of his life. On September 21st, 2020, Congressman Anthony Brindisi and the Devons family introduced Bianca's Law. If passed, all social media platforms with more than 10 million in revenue and over 100,000 monthly users would be required to establish an office dedicated to identifying and removing violent content that violates the platform's moderation standards. Marianne Buttonshawn and Joseph Griffo introduced a law that would create criminal and civil penalties for spreading an image of a crime victim with the intent of glorification or harassment. 
In January 2022, the New York State Assembly passed a version of Bianca's Law, which criminalizes posting, sharing, or publishing personal images with the intent to degrade or abuse under certain circumstances. It was signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul at the end of December 2022. Wow, this case was really a nightmare. I have so much empathy for her family. And I'm glad that they've been able to turn it into something positive with the scholarship fund. We'll post a link in the show notes to the scholarship fund for anyone that wants to check it out or donate. I hope that everyone that hears about this case can learn to put their safety first when using the internet to meet and connect with people. In many ways, social media and the internet can be wonderful tools. They open up a whole nother world and let you meet people and have experiences that weren't possible when I was growing up. And as long as you understand the risks and take precautions, I believe it can be a great way to network and meet people. My son, as a freshman this year, had to take a whole semester-long class on internet safety and ethics, and I think that all kids should have to do that. And of course, parents need to be aware too. It's tough out there. And I think the best advice is to proceed with caution in these situations. Know the red flags and don't brush it aside if you notice them. If you're going to meet, do it in a public place with plenty of other people around. Because we want you back here next week. But that's going to be it for us today. We want to thank all of you that have been listening and supporting us on our podcast journey. It's been really awesome watching our audience grow with each episode, even if it is little by little. We promise to keep working hard for you, and I commit to entering my podcast oven every week so I don't sound like I'm underwater or in a tin can. For all the photos related to this case, take a peek at our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All that's at Web of Wicked. And if you have a case that you want us to cover, send us an email at webofwicked at gmail.com. Stay safe out there, guys, especially if you're considering swiping right. See you all next Wednesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.